The following audio is from Cross Life Church in Tampa, Florida. We are a church that exists to help people find Christ, their place in the body, and their mission to the world. Our calling is to raise leaders and plant churches. So if you live in the Hudson area or near Wesley Chapel, you can also check us out at one of our other locations. For more information, visit us at crosslife.net. So, all right, James chapter 4, verses 1 through 12, we're going to look at this morning. So, Father, we just need... um, We just need eyes to see, ears to hear, and understanding hearts today from your word, that your word would speak into our life, Spirit of God, that you would rattle us this morning so that we could just get out of places where we are and get into places where we need to be in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you know, I've been thinking about this message, and I've been thinking for a while uh, here, here's something that we really need to grab a hold of. There is God's way, and then there is not God's way. There is God's way, and there is not God's way. And you see these two things, and we see it from the very beginning. You know, the idea of light and dark and good and evil, Righteousness, unrighteousness, there's, there's wheats and tares or weeds and there are sheep and goat and there's so many analogies all the way through Scripture and Scripture is explicit that there is God's way and not God's way. There's no in between, there's no your way. Anything that is in between in your way is not God's way. And I think that we miss this. We think somehow that there, is, there are all these options that we can have to try to find God's blessing. And the reason why it's so important for us is to, just to grab a hold of this. And every time we're making decisions and we live our life, there's just two options. There is God's way and then there's not God's way. And the reason it's important for us is that both paths lead to very different places and very different outcomes. I mean, remember in uh, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says that there is a narrow gate and a narrow way. Actually, the word he uses is there is a straight gate. Straight means constricted by other things. In other words, the way to get into this narrow path, through this gate, this narrow path that Jesus has, you just can't get in. When I, when I was a kid, we used to ride our bikes and motorcycles on the, in the, ball, on the ball fields at a school that was near us. And we did so much of it, they finally were tired of it. It was all fenced in, but they had these gates that were so wide that we could still get our motorcycles through. What they did, have you ever seen this? What they did is they added to that gate this zigzag gate that was about six foot high. It was only this wide. Only you could get through. You couldn't take all your junk with you. So we couldn't access that anymore. So the idea is that Jesus said that there is this straight gate and there is a narrow way. Then he said there is a wide gate and there is a broad way. Now, one of them leads the, in the Greek text, it says it specifically this way. It leads a way to life. The straight gate, the narrow way, leads 
a way to life. The idea is that you are here. You are standing here. You have a choice. One leads a way to life. The other leads a way to death. Not God, not God life. So, you know, as we were thinking, as you're thinking about this, James kind of got into this in chapter two and Kobe, or chapter three, and Kobe talked about it last week. He said, he, Kobe was teaching about two kinds of wisdom true wisdom and not true wisdom. True wisdom and not true wisdom. See, true wisdom, this true knowledge of God and following God's ways that leads us to God, that wisdom is good and perfect, and it comes down from the Father. Now, it doesn't say false wisdom. It just says this, talk about this other type of wisdom. So there is this true wisdom, and then there is not true wisdom. See, there is this knowledge that dismisses God in His ways that it's just not true. And it leads people from God, and it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. In other words, its source is the devil. So here are the truths of God and the knowledge of God and the ways of God that as we live them out, they bring us nearer to God. And then there are those things that are not true about God and His ways and how to live out your life that do not take us anywhere near God. Let me just, it takes you one leads away to life. The other leads away to death. It's, these are not parallel things. They're not two rails of a track that you can just hop and skip. No, they go in very different directions. So as we are living our life out, we need to just have this in the forefront of our mind. Following true wisdom, pursuing God in His ways brings purity and is peace-loving. It brings about compassion. It is full of mercy. It brings in a harvest of righteousness, which is a conformity to God's will in the way you think, in the way you live, the way you act. This true wisdom makes people wise. It causes us to be peacemakers who sow this same type of peace into others' lives. This is the close of chapter 3. This not true wisdom, this not pursuing God in His ways, what happens is in an individual's life, it brings out selfish ambition. It brings out envy. It brings out strife. And the end of chapter 3 leads us into what James wants to say in chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. And I'm going to tell you right up front, this is a hard section because James does not mix words. He just cuts to the chase and says it like it is. So 
Here are some things that he's speaking to those that were scattered abroad, these Jews that were in these other nations because of the persecution and the difficulty in Jerusalem. He's speaking to them, and he's basically knowing that some things are going okay where they are, and some things are not. And he's hitting hard the things that are not. And he's really cutting straight to the point of where they were and where they were living and what was going on in their life. So there is a problem here. And what is going on, there is the standing of really where they are, and there is a conclusion about how they can escape where they are. So the problem, turn your Bibles to James chapter 4, let's read verses 1 through 4 first. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and you covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask God, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend it so that you may spend what you get on your own pleasure. So he starts out this section of scripture here and he begins with asks ask this question I, I just need to know or think about tell me why don't you tell me what is causing the fights and quarrels now think about this what is causing the fights and quarrels among you then he asks the second question which really isn't a question it's really he's really just kind of throwing out the answer and he says uh, you know, because what I'm seeing instead of this purity and peace and mercy and compassion that should be from people who are peacemakers that spread peace, what I am hearing about is that there are just these fightings and quarrelings among you. So what causes that? Then he answers with the question, do they not come from your desires that battle within you? So there were troubles among them, and the root cause of it is because what was going on within them. And he says that they come from the desires that battle within you. Now, this is an interesting word because this word desire is different than many others in the Scriptures. It is a word we get hedonism from. And hedonism basically is a pursuit of pleasure, sensual self-indulgence. It is the way, it is the thinking or way of life that makes pleasure mankind's main goal. In other words, I am living for my own satisfaction, for my own desires, for my own pleasure, just for me. And James says that causes trouble. So the source of these conflicts, the root cause, are coming from something that's in you, the desires that are in you. He goes on to say in verse 2, you desire, you just really seek after, you lust, you set in your heart upon, you're fighting after this, and you're shoving everything else out of your way to grab a hold of this, and you don't have it, so you kill. You covet, you're envious, you're jealous, and you still can't get what you want. So it just causes quarrelings and fightings. And he says, you don't have because you don't go to God. 
You know, I got to thinking about that. We, as humanity, we have these legitimate desires that are not wrong. As a matter of fact, I think that, well, I know that there are times God just drops desires in your life so that He can fulfill things and promises in your life and so that He can shift you to get you to where you need to be. I mean, uh, well, I won't go there. Uh, all, all kinds of thoughts. You, you know how God stirs desires to get us to certain places. The issue, though, at times is God will drop things in your life, and then what you do is you're not getting what you think you should get, when you should get, or how you should get, so you just chase after it, trying to fulfill it by yourself instead of allowing God to bring it to you. Listen, I can promise you Anything that God said He will give you, He will give you. You do not have to chase after it. And sometimes when He stirs your heart for longing for something, just know that He stirred your heart so you can have your eyes open to receive it when it comes your way and He hands it to you. Not so that you can just go full speed ahead chasing it to grab it for yourself because What's going to happen is if you chase what you think that is, you will get what you didn't plan for. You'll get the wrong thing. Well, I just feel like God stirred me for a mate. Well, okay, just drop in. What does that look like in your life? And what you think that looks like and what God knows it should be are very different things. God doesn't just see here with the eyes. And of course, there are those things that we chase after have nothing to do with good, have nothing to do with God and what God wants for our lives. You know, I heard, a, I don't remember a, um, who it was, but he talked about there is, uh, for the believer, there is this struggle in yourself against yourself. There's, for us as a believer, in order to follow Jesus, we really need to surrender all these things to God. What's the admonition? Put on the Lord Jesus Christ, make no provision for the flesh, for your own passions and desires to satisfy those desires. If we're just running to chase to satisfy this, oh my goodness, I can tell you that leads to skin knees. Now, it's interesting in my look at this, it doesn't suggest that we're supposed to abandon desire, but we're supposed to take all our desires to God. Because we need them, we need, we need a reformation of them in our life. And I think James is saying, you know what, you're having trouble here because you're going about your life the wrong way. It's not about you. It's not about what you want. It's not for you. So what we need to do is take all our desires to God. We need to lay our whole life down before God. The good, the bad, and the ugly. The good, the bad, and the ugly. So how do you do that? Well, you just go to God and spill your guts. And you're going, <laughs> there's no way I'm dropping on my knees and going to spill that. Uh, can I just let you know a little bitty secret? He already knows. But how could I with my words get that, get that out? Listen, the things that are in darkness, the devil gets to 
gets to mess with. But when you bring it out to light, God just shines light on it, and God helps us see what it is. God helps us in this whole thing. You know, there's always going to be this struggle in our life between what the world, flesh, and the devil says and nudges us toward and what the Spirit of God in us says and nudges us toward. There's always going to be that struggle that we're going to have in our life. You're not beyond that. I, I don't really care how old you are in the faith. There's always going to be some kind of struggle in your life. God has one purpose for your life. Whether you just become a, before you become a believer, whether you, and if you just become a believer, and if you've been a believer for a hundred years, God's got one desire, just one, just one, just one desire for our life to be conformed into the image of His Son. And He is working 24-7, 365, trying to get you there. And if you're foolish enough to run the other way and skin your knees, that happens. And what God is doing is God, we're going to find out here, God is there because He's created a pathway for you to get you from wherever you are to where you need to be. Yeah, I li- you know, I'm, I like this. It's Christianity. It's this long obedience in the same direction. And let me just remind you this morning that all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, they are not from the Father. All that longing just to satisfy yourself so we need to just keep coming to God about everything. I like this because we, we, we miss the simple so often. We need to keep asking. We need to keep seeking. We need to keep knocking. Why? Because God will keep giving. See, we will keep receiving. We will keep finding. And the doors in front of us will keep being opened to us. We could quit right here, and if we could just grab a hold of that, the rest of your Christian life, if you, if you grab nothing and grabbed a hold of that, you would find your play, you'd find yourself in good places throughout your life. It's not that you're never going to turn to the right or the left, but the idea is here, James is saying, look, you are going to be in bad places. There are stuff that's going to get a hold of you, but what you need to do is take all of who you are and keep laying it before God. The good, the bad, the ugly of your life. Now, I came across this here a week or two ago. Uh, I, don't, I don't remember where it was, but it was, uh, there was this ancient Jewish prayer, and it went like this, Lord, I know that you will help us, but help us until you help us. You're going, hmm, let me put this in perspective, so The Jews are in Babylon for 70 years. Jeremiah the prophet said they would be there for 70 years, but at the end of 70 years, God would rescue them and take them into the place He had promised. But He also said that if they would be obedient and they would do what God is asking, that God would be there and God would help them there until they got there. And see, I think we miss, we, miss this in our, we miss this in our life. Lord, help me 
in my here and now until what you promised, the help you promised is fulfilled in my life. See, that is asking. That is seeking. That is knocking. There are things that God has promised to me. There are things that I haven't grabbed a hold of yet. There are changes that need to take place in my life. I need to become, become more conformed into the image of Jesus. And my prayer is my knowing, my faith resides in, yes, God, I know that you will help me. But God, I just need help until that is fulfilled. What a... Whew, what a promise. What a prayer to pray. This is living out our Christian life. It is not God give me and then he just dumps. There's, there's all kinds of things that take place in our life. There's a refining process needs to take place. There's selfishness, pride, and arrogance, things that need to be stripped out of your life, things that God needs to burn away. But I can tell you, if you allow God to do what God wants, you will not be disappointed with the outcome. Look, I've been a believer for 40 years, and I was a mess. Now I'm less a mess. But I have found, through pain and heartache and praise, the faithfulness of God in my life. If I hadn't, I shouldn't be standing here. I should just go do something else. I am here to tell you the truth of the promise of God for us, His believers. Listen, I think it's important, too, to bring up, we need to be reminded that James is writing to these second and third generation believers. Now, why is that important? Well, there, it's been 20, it's been 30 years since Jesus, now this has taken place here, they're scattered, they're among these nations that have nothing to do with God, don't believe anything about God, it's got, it, it just is, is a awful surroundings, those lifestyles and belief systems that can just really contaminate and deteriorate a genuine Christian character. It, it, it rubs against your beliefs and practices. So that's today. I mean, we really need to be on our guard, not allowing our culture around us to move us from godliness. The life that, the life that God has called us to live according to the Scriptures the life that God has called us to live according to the Scriptures. Not what you think, not, not, not what everyone else thinks. Well, we're going to get into this. I better back up. Basically, he says, you know what? You don't have what you need because you're not going to God. Then he says that when you do go, you don't receive anything because it's just, it's, you're aiming in the wrong direction. Your motives are wrong. Basically, what you, you want what you want so you can have for you. The word, uh, so you can spend it upon your own pleasures, means to squander that you would waste. See, God wants to give into your life so that he can give through your life. It's not about you and what you want, when you want, how you want. Think with me for just a minute. 
to be in God's hands, to be in that place where, you, where he wants you to be, that is such a good place to be. Is it always an easy place to be? Oh, yeah, no. But when God is working in my life and moving through my life, his intentions for my life, they're all just good things. See, the correct way to live out our life is by taking everything to God and asking Him about them all. And if our motives are wrong, well, God will help us see that. That's okay. See, we all, every one of us in here, we have this need, this sense of need of belonging, of love, to love and to be loved, of purpose and destiny. And they're there because God dropped them in our life. Now, if God put those desires in us, it makes sense that he's not, God's not the God he's going to go, here you go, have that, shut the door, have fun trying to find it. <laughs> How cynical is that? We look through the pages of Scripture, no, that's not true. I mean, Israel, they were boneheads. 320, get it, 325 years this nation thumbed their nose at God. And what did he do? Well, they got a whooping but they got rescued. Just look through history. Look through the history of your own life. You're chasing after what you want. You're not getting there. You're getting a whipping. But all through the process, you know the voice of God is there going, hey, Kobe, that's not going to work. I told you that's not going to work. So we need to take the whole of our life, the good, the bad, and ugly, and lay it before God, because when we're chasing life for ourselves and only want for ourselves, look what happens in verse 4. James is pretty straightforward. He said, you adulterous people. Whoo. Well, now think with me. He's talking to Jews. They knew that meant spiritually unfaithful. They weren't being faithful to God. There was this third party. See, because spiritual adultery occurs when Christians look outside of their relationship with God to get our needs met. If, if, if He is who He says He is, and He's dropped those desires in our life, then He will grant the desires. He'll bring the fulfillment of those in our life. How you want, when you want. I haven't read that anywhere yet. That's a little clause we put in. Because sometimes the blessing of God and the fulfillment of the promise of God doesn't quite look like you would think. All the people of Scripture that we see in it, from Abraham and David and Joseph, we should be able to read from those pages of Scripture and know that it didn't, I'm sure they're going, whoa, wait a minute. But over this course of time, God did what God does. God meets, God fulfills. That's what God does. So he says, look, there's, you've invited this third party into your relationship, and that third party is the world. 
And if you choose to do that, what you've done is you've invited that third party into your life. You become, you've, you've entered into this friendship with the, the world around you, and the world specifically is, let me back up, it says you choose that. That's, that's on you. You chose to do that. So if you chose to do that, you can choose to do something else. You can choose to do differently, and we're going to get into that in a minute, but the world is that system of evil controlled by the influence of Satan. It refers to the philosophies and practices that have fallen men have devised in their own effort to live apart from God. They are living, struggling, fighting against God. You know, I got to think in the end result of wanting... What we want in the end is always an empty hand because it's never what you think. And, and the saddest part about that is the worst thing than being empty-handed is that you, in the process, find yourself becoming enemies of God. I mean, I never in my entire life have aimed in a direction to fight against God. That's never been my desire, never been intent, but have I been there before? Fighting against what God has wanted out of my life by chasing what I want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why the admonition is to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, the way that He's laid out for us, and He will keep adding to our lives. He will keep giving in to our lives. Then he goes in verse 5, he says, you, the Scripture's pretty clear about this. The spirit that God made to live in us wants us only for himself. He's jealous toward us. The spirit that God placed in us is filled with this fierce desires, and those fierce desires are for God and the things of God. Don't you realize that God gives more grace? The Spirit of God gives us grace potent enough to face whatever it is we're facing to give us the help we need until we find the help that was promised. That's why the Scriptures say that God, He he opposes the proud and He shows favor to the humble. So the call for us is really to shun pride. God gives His people what they need to resist the world's appeal to remain loyal to Him. Now this last piece of this is the solution. So here they are in this place, and this is all going on, and He's just telling it like it is. He's basically basically saying, you know what? You are adulterers. You are unfaithful. When you're living like this, you're unfaithful. And there's these, these ten imperatives that follow up in verses 7 through 10, but they're just not imperatives, which is a command, but they're in the Greek. It's an aorist imperative. It means you do this now, do it once and for all, and be done with it. We, you know what? You know how we make decisions? We do it, and if it, we think it works out the way we want, we make the decision, whether to keep doing it or keep believing it or not. That's goofed up. What we're supposed to do somewhere, you know, the idea of forgiveness. If um, you sin against me, and I, I forgive you, 
and we're around each other, and all of a sudden this sense rises up within me about what has taken place, I made a choice to forgive. So I'm not going to hold that against you. We need to, we need to make a decision, uh, a, a once and for all decision. When you say yes to God, there's just a lot of things you'll automatically say no to. Verse 7, first imperative, we need to submit ourselves to God. We need to resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You know, the world and its influence, you know, the, the devil poses like he's this friendly ally. He's going to help you enjoy life better. You know, the whisper, follow me, and I'll give you what you don't have, what you've been missing, what you can't get to. You know what? I would really like to replay the garden because what would happen instead of Eve biting into the apple and giving it to Adam, she would jerk it off the tree, shove it in the serpent's mouth till he choked on it. There would be no, looking back, how many times in your life has it ever push, 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 and finally you just go, you shove the apple in his mouth and let him choke on it. Enough. So we need to submit ourselves, all of ourselves, we need to bring under and submissive to the will of God. And then what we need to do is oppose the devil. What happens is we always find ourselves fighting against God instead of resisting the enemy. Quit fighting God. And you'll find that life goes better. Is it going to be all peachy? No, but it'll be better. Will it get you to where you need to go? Yes. Will he help you until he helps you? Yes, he absolutely will. See, because the bottom line of seeking your own way is you do not have. But Tracy, I got, oh, no. I'm talking about there's God's way and the blessings that follow that, and there is not God's way and all the stuff that follows that. I don't know about you, but if, I, if you're a believer, I can tell you right now, the Spirit of God that is in you, His desire is for you is to surrender to the will of God so that the blessings of God can fall on your life. When you choose differently, you walk out of the umbrella of God's protection, and you make yourself vulnerable for everything the devil promised. It doesn't look the same. Matter of fact, anytime the world, the flesh, or the devil approaches you, it never is what it is. It's always in disguise. It's always trickery. It's always manipulation. Never is it not. If the devil came to you with who he was, you would be going, oh no. You would see it for what it is. There would be no way you would wander down that path. You know, I thank God for the scriptures. I thank God for men and women who have lived before in sin and, and messed up their life and become believers and made mistakes so that they can speak truths like this into your life. You know, you that, are, you, you that are in your mom and dad's household and your mom and dad are living this life out, you need to listen they are trying to guard you. They're trying to protect you because they know that what that looks like on the outside is not that. It's a costume. It's a mask. It is not going to take you where you need to go. It's, it's a lie. And it's folly. 
bottom line, seek your own way you don't have. You know, the enemy's objective is just to bring us down. See, the objective of, of warfare is to destroy or totally dominate your enemy. I don't want my, do- my life dominated by anybody but Jesus. So he encourages us, what you need to do is come near to God and he will come near to you. Keep. <laughs> Keep coming near to God. You don't see this the way that it is. Sometimes we draw near and we don't think God's done a thing. There are so many things that God does when we begin to draw near that we can't even see. He pushes back so much darkness. He spoils the plans of the enemy. He foils them. So what we need to do is we need to keep coming near to God. He said, wash your hands, sinners. You are missing the mark. You need to... to Quit that. You need to wash your hands of that. You need to have your heart purified, which was a sacrifice. You need to lay your life on the altar at this point. And you need to keep drawing near to God. Because, listen, the very act of your drawing near to God awakens who you really are and what is really going on around you. And it draws desire out of you to want to do the things that God is asking of you. Because the woo of the Spirit of God and the voice of the Spirit of God, and as you read through the Scriptures, the truth is the Spirit of God begins to speak to you. And it says, yes and amen, this is true. That's not Thank you, Lord, for, for, I'm so glad that James is going, there's God's way and there's not God's way. So there's no in between. In between is not God's way. Your way is not God's way. Their way is not God's way. There's God's way. And in the scriptures, we discover God's way. Uh, this whole thing has the idea of faith and action. Both of them together. A double-minded person in this context is somebody that thinks they can embrace the world and embrace God at the same time, and that they just can't. You know, it'd be fun, have your cake and eat it too, so to speak, but it just doesn't work that way because what God wants to give isn't fake. It's not artificial. It's the real deal. And the real deal is eternal. It's genuine. The longing of your life for love and intimacy and, and uh, uh, a, a closeness to God and a, and a joy and a peace in your life. God gives the real deal. So he says to them, you really need to see where you are and you need to grieve, mourn, and well. There's really needs to be a repentance. You come near to God, submit to God, resist the devil, come near to God. This repentance that needs to be in our life. Why would James be so forceful here? Because if they don't catch this, they're going to find themselves in places they never wanted to be. There should be nothing in your life that is happy or to celebrate about if you are in this place in your life. 
what you're going to find is an empty hand, and what you're going to find is all the while you've been fighting God to get what you want, which doesn't satisfy. Ouch. Verse 10, so what we need to do is humble ourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. This idea of bringing yourself under God, setting yourself under God. See, there is this problem, and there's the true condition about that, and there is the solution to it. I'm going to just end with 11 and 12 here, real brief. This is kind of my, this is what I grabbed out of 11 and 12 in the context of this. Basically, I think James is saying, just quit looking around the room. Don't look for others in their sin to justify or try and lessen yours. There's always going to be someone that you think may be worse. It's not your job to stand in judgment over another brother. Your responsibility is to be living this life out God's way. Father, thank you. Thank you that you... I'm glad that we don't have to think about what you're saying here. I'm glad that you are, you just, you, you cut with a sharp knife. I'm, I'm grateful, God, that you just divide between the two things so that we can see it for what it is. I'm glad that sometimes Scripture just slaps us in the face, that it shakes us to awaken us. Because there are just realities that we need to face. So this morning, God, in the way you wish, with your great desire, would you speak into each and every one of us? Your goal is blessing. Your goal is blessing in our lives. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Why don't you stand?